Find a seat. Thank you. And you can uh, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John 6, that's open. Yep. John, chapter 6, today. By the way, next week, um, next Sunday, I guess we call it uh, Blessings in Bluegrass next week. Um, we're starting the book of Ephesians, so that'll be, we'll be introducing that, um, talking about we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. What does it mean to actually have that? What does that look like? And the whole book then plays out, what is that, how does that get played out in our life? So we're introducing that next week, and worship will be different than what we've done before. So... Uh, Mr. Simpson, what is the name of your group, by the way? Manzanita, Manzanita Bluegrass Band will be leading worship next week. So um, get those hands ready to go. So it'll be fun. So next week, be very fun. Thank you for uh, journeying with me through this little uh, diversion on food um, this week. I, um, it's, uh, it's been timely for me. I think I've, I've, I've needed some, um, some very tangible, present, um, touch from the Lord. Sometimes it's, 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 uh, our, our experience with him is a little bit, um, hard to grasp. It's just kind of out there somewhere. Um, it's in the sweet by and by somewhere else. And there's something about food that is so, um, when you hold it in your hands and it smells good or it smells bad, it tastes good, it tastes, it's, whatever, it's, it's present. It's right there and you can see it and you can and hold it. And um, as we meet the Lord in that place to that, for, for me it's just been, it's made him tangible and, and, um, and present. And I think um, we need those kinds of things. And I think that's part of the reason why God does so many things with food because it's not abstract at all. It's something that's very, very real. So I've been refreshed personally. And reminded of God's abundance, Psalm chapter 36 says this, They drink their fill of the abundance of your house. You give them to drink of the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. And the very heart of this morning, if we can get it, is that Jesus wants to communicate that his very life is the fountain of life. And anything separate from that or in addition to that uh, misses it. From the very first garden of fruit that God uh, cultivated for Adam and Eve, all the way to what I believe is actually a present, ongoing, as well as eternal marriage supper of the Lamb. God has been uh, bringing those things to bear on our life, and he has all this good stuff that he's cooked up for us um, in between that time. And his invitation daily, we saw the other week, is that he invites us to his table, the table of life that he prepares for us. And it's not only very tangible things like the food that we actually eat, but it's the, the, the inner things, too, that he calls us to, to remind us of what he has done in our life. Um, we're going to be taking communion together later this morning as a church. Um, and I believe that communion uh, is more than just a symbol. Um, we're going to be looking at talking about Jesus' flesh and his blood. I don't believe it becomes God's flesh and blood in any way that. But I also believe it's something more than... A symbol. There's, there's, there's an invitation to some very, very real participation as a church together. 
when we gather around this table, which the church used to have meals together, and in the meal they would do it. And there was, there's something about that that's missed when we pass around the little things. In my church, it was a little tiny cracker thing and the little cup. I, you remember I used to play with the cup all the time when I was a kid? I don't know how many of those things I cracked, and the stuff is dripping out all over the place. You know, that's, that's not what it was about before. I mean, it's a great symbol, but, you know, that's, that wasn't what the early church did. They were, they, were, they were enjoying each other's company and eating together. And then they were, in, in the midst of eating all that food, they remember that Christ had done something for them. So we're going to take a, a final look at this issue of food, and we'll go to John chapter 6, kind of a difficult section, but we're going to walk through this passage. We're actually going to cover the whole chapter, but we're just kind of hitting a few spots, and we're going to concentrate on just one part of it as we go through that this morning. Lord, uh, pray for your blessing on your word. We acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is our only teacher that we can trust, so we ask that he would minister the truth of your words to our hearts, uh, causing us to embrace them and be changed and to be able to give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, food. We're talking about food here, John chapter 6. And the first thing is food is a demonstration of God's work. Food can be a demonstration of God's work. Here in chapter 6, the first 14 verses says, After these things, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing. And we know the story in the course of time. Jesus is teaching. Jesus taught for a long time. It's hot. It's dusty. They're on a hill. And the people become hungry. And so the disciples are saying, we should send everybody away to towns. And when they go there, they can buy food. They can purchase food to eat, and then we can meet them all back again. Um, but it was getting late. And uh, Jesus says, um, he says We're, the disciples think they're supposed to buy the bread, and they're not going to do that because they don't have enough money. And um, Jesus was saying to test him, because he knew what he intended to do, verse 6. Verse 7, Philip says, we have 200 denarii worth of bread, but even that would not be sufficient for them, for even everyone to receive just a little. And then one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, verse 8, said, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these among so many? Just some bread would have been enough, just something to sustain them. And instead, Jesus comes along and does this incredible miracle where he takes the bread and he takes fish. They get more than just bread. They get bread and fish. And it serves out, and how many people get fed? 5,000 people, which doesn't include the women and children, which don't get counted back then, but everybody ate. So 5,000 plus, could have been 10,000 people, easily, who ate their fill. And it says here, when they gathered it all up, everyone um, says when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather them up. So they gathered them up and they had extra. How many have had sat down at dinner this week, and when you were done, you were filled? Anybody? Feels good, doesn't it? And they, they were just needing a morsel of bread to sustain them. And in the story, God demonstrates his power by stepping in, and he gives them bread, and he gives them fish. And they're all, every single one of them are filled, so they all say, that's enough, no more. And they gather up all these extras. God demonstrates his power. Um, there is worrying about bread, um, but they were all filled. He demonstrated himself as the Messiah, the one who can give anything. Just like God gave manna from heaven, Jesus brings this miraculous food. He demonstrates his kingship in it, that he could be a king who could provide for a kingdom, which is what they wanted. 
He demonstrated his power, the, actual, the power of God to be able to take something and do something unimaginable in the midst of these people. And Jesus demonstrated himself in the, in the midst and in front of all the people. Interesting that it was all done, his demonstration of his greatness was done through the means of what? Simple bread and fish, just food, just food. When we're famished and hungry and in want, um, God can step in and demonstrate his glory through the giving of food. Number two, there's a diversion. I'm not sure it's the best word, but we'll pick it. The, uh, the key word here is diversion versus uh, beginning with, um, we're going to skip to Jesus walking in the water. That's a good story, too. Um, and jumping down a little, a little further down, um, the people were seeking. Remember, Jesus, they walk in the water. Jesus, they're trying to figure out how did Jesus get from one side of the lake to the other because they had seen him before and the, the boats left. And they're like, well, how did he get across the lake before us? And they're seeking him out and they find him. Verse 26, Jesus said, You seek me because you saw signs and because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Verse 27, Do not work for the food which perishes, but work for food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. It's interesting, the people seek Jesus. Why? They just wanted to eat. They just wanted food. They missed the fact that the food was a demonstration of something greater. And they were completely misguided and carried away by the food. They got focused on the food. Food's a great thing, but it is only an entryway for us to discuss something and to see things and experience things from God. We have food coming in, so take it as it goes around. You have permission to eat and spill to your heart's content this morning. So... As it goes around, fill up your plate. And you can eat and not talk at the same time. (laughs) Pass it around, you guys. Just keep it going. If you don't get something you like, wave your hand and they'll send you something different, okay? <laughs> Continuing on in this section, Jesus begins to uh, talk to the people about what he's going on. And Jesus says, do the works of God. And the people say, we would do the works of God if we saw a sign. Now, what had they just seen before? What had the people seen before? A sign. They saw food being multiplied in their midst. And yet when Jesus calls them to himself and to something greater, they say they want a sign. Just, let, just uh, drop the plates to Dan and let it go. There we go. So, Jesus first does what with the 5,000? He demonstrates his power. The second thing that happens is that people get misguided. And when Jesus actually calls them to something deeper, which is what we're going to do this morning in a few minutes, the people begin to give excuses. They say, well, tell us what the works of God are. Show us a sign about it. Tell us, tell us something more that would cause us to want to give ourselves over to it. They become misguided by the food. That's right, like you guys are. And the people say, you know, that our fathers before us, God came from heaven and he brought this special food. What are you going to do? Which is what just happened, by the way. 
True, I say to you, verse um, 32, it is not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And they say, Lord, give us this bread always. But they didn't really want it. They didn't really want it. So, diversion. They're misguided by the food. Once you get your platter, just kind of hold it up, and they'll come pick it up from you and take it back out again. And there will be a pile of it left outside after church this morning. So when we are done, make sure you eat it. Eat it. Anybody want some grapes? Over there. There we go. Nemo's got them. All right. Carly's got more grapes. Hold them up. Anybody else want grapes? Over in the back here. All right. I have no idea. If there's anybody passes out, there's got to be a doctor in the house. Okay, so there's diversion, just like we had this morning. The people were driven by need for food, but they were not driven by a need for the presence of God. What we've been looking at the last three weeks is food shows us something about the character of God, but it's supposed to press us into his work and his presence and a want for him. Remember, we talked about fasting. It's supposed to build a hunger for God, and the people here wanted food, but they did not have a want for his presence. And so they weren't ready to receive and accept what Jesus did. Jesus, like the manna came from heaven, also came from heaven bringing food, but the people were deceived. And what is behind every sin? Behind every sin, what is behind it? Deception? Satan? Lack of faith, unbelief, unbelief. Every time I sin, it's because ultimately I don't really trust that God's going to care for that need. And so I search for it somewhere else. And as the people reject Jesus, there's really underneath that there's disbelief, there's unbelief in him, even though he had just demonstrated by feeding all these people. We mistake this life, which matters, by the way, but we mistake this life for life with a capital L. And in the midst of this life, there is something else beyond that. And the world ever since has been um, misguided by food, are we not? We use food to cover up pain. We use food to bring hurt on other people. We deprive people of food when we have opportunity to give. That brings suffering. Um, the, the misuse of food and the hurt and pain that comes through it is all around us. And it's both in this country and countries other places. Um, ever since then, instead of a gateway to, a, to walking and to belief... It becomes a opportunity for being misguided and for sin. Number three, if you got a platter near, just hold it up, and then those guys will pick it up and take it out. A couple more here, you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Micah. Appreciate it. Number three, there's an invitation. Number three, Jesus extends an invitation. Despite the fact they weren't believing, he's still going to extend himself. Verse 33, and actually after that, verse 35, Jesus says what? I am the bread of life. He who does what? Comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jump ahead down to verse 51. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven, if anyone eats this bread, 
he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is what? He says, is my flesh. There's an invitation. The invitation is to come to me, he says. There's an invitation to eat the bread with the promise of life forever. Verse 53. So Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says that his life, verse 55, his, is the true flesh. And he says, my blood is true drink, the true blood, the true drink for where life would come from. The manna that came down through Moses, how long did it last? Not even a day, a day. And he brings it up, and it's temporary, and it's, it only gave life for that day. And the, the, the desire that God had for the people in the wilderness is that they would realize that if God doesn't come through today, we're hungry. We're not going to get food. And if he fails to come through day after day after day, guess what happens to us? We all die. And that was supposed to drive them to need and want and trust for God. Jesus says, I'm the manna that comes down from heaven, but I'm the true manna, the true flesh, the true blood. And when you drink and eat of me, it's not just for today, but it's for life eternal. And that's not just somewhere down the road. Life eternal is now. We experience it now as believers. We've already entered into it. And we understand that life only comes from him. Um, that's the invitation Jesus says. Kind of difficult words to hear, isn't it? Kind of it, 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 it kind of grates, doesn't it? While you're eating, even. <laughs> to talk about eating flesh and drinking blood. Jesus was very specific about the words he chose. And they were going to rattle people. And even as he says, I am the bread of life, his declaration that he is the preexistent, always existent God who gives life to the world. And he says, you have to eat me for life in yourself. And the idea here is that, um, verse 55, uh, for my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. And as the living Father sent me, I will live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, He who eats this bread will live forever. When we eat of Christ, it says that we abide in him. To abide means that we, our entire existence and being finds its source in him. It's to dwell in him. It's not just, it's not like we think if I abide in him means I just need to be thinking about him. It's way more than that. When we abide in him, we we are brought in as being part of Christ's very life. We are joined to him. Um, and he joins himself to us. And that we remain in him and our life and everything, our sustenance, um, both physical and spiritual, come from him alone. The invitation Jesus extends when he tells him to, to come to me and to eat of this bread is an invitation to himself. It's an invitation to eat and drink. It's an invitation to abide in him. It's an invitation to recognize and understand and embrace that life will come from nowhere else but him. He took himself and raised himself up and said, I'm life. 
If you, if you look for any place else besides me, you won't find life. That's what he said. And his invitation was to enter into that, to eat and to drink of him, to trust and depend on him for life itself. For us to see that without Christ, we perish. Without Christ, there's no living. Without his life, our lives are full of just brokenness and food, but nothing else. It's what God wanted to get the Israelites to see in the beginning as they trusted him, and it's what he wants to get us to see each time we take a plate at a meal and we eat. And we remember, this, I, what I have comes from him. From the very thing that I can touch to my tongue to the very life that gives me eternal life, it all comes from him. And without him, if, he's, if I'm not fully immersed in him, if I haven't, my life has not entered into him, I have no life. I'm just walking over the course of this world. Each time we pick up this food, we need to be reminded that without this, my body is frail and perishes. Um, Some of us have less meat than others, and we would be gone quickly. Um, I'd be one of them. And there's something, when we come to that truth that of our frailty, it drives us to a Savior, because there's something more. Without Jesus, life, hope, purposes, dreams, everything we would hope for all perishes and goes out the window. That's his invitation and what he wants us to recognize. It's an invitation to fully embrace Jesus, his life, his purposes, and what he did on our behalf. So Jesus extends an invitation, and it's, and it's a really stark one. And, and by the way, communion is not eating, drinking the flesh of Jesus. That's not why I picked this passage. Um, But behind it is the truth that when we eat and drink and remember what he did, there's an invitation to himself to find life in him and in him alone. So then Jesus finally says, are you going to participate in that? That's the last one, participation. Verse 59, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught. And many of the disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? In other words, their mouths dropped open. They didn't know what to say. It's an understatement. That's a rather difficult statement. Jesus was conscious of this, that his disciples grumbled. These weren't just the general population. Jesus had his 12 disciples, but he had 70 to 100 other people that faithfully followed him and listened to him and participated with him. These are the people that were the ones to take the next step with him, and they began to grumble. And Jesus says, why does this cause you to stumble? Says verse sixty four, Jesus knew from the beginning who they would, who were they were that did not believe in him. So verse sixty six, after Jesus given this uh, invitation, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew, and they were not walking with him anymore. Bad church growth idea. You don't say, "Eat my body and drink my blood." It's just not the thing to say. Um, his his church just plummeted. In attendance, it's like he got there afterwards and said, I'd like to clarify something I said last week. He wouldn't do that. The people leave. I mean, these were not just the general population. Jesus knew would leave or expected to leave. He knew these people would leave too. Those who had already were committed to him, when they heard it, the invitation was, I'm everything. Your life, I'm calling you to completely lay yourself out and say, you are everything. Without you, have nothing. And it says, at that time, many, many, many withdrew and left him. So what does Jesus do? He turns to the disciples, the 12, 
And he says, you do not want to go away also, do you? So Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom should we go? For you have the words of eternal life. You know, when I read that, I think that Peter was really, in his heart of hearts, was probably like you and I going, I think I'd like to leave too. Because you just, what you just said, I feel the same way everybody else does. But Peter knew that the words were true. They were true life. They were true bread. And when, he, when you know there's truth, you can't just turn away from it. He says, I know it's true. So what else can I do? If I go anywhere, I perish. Life is only in you, so I'd, I'd like to leave too. I think he felt that. But I can't because cause what you said is true. If I, if I depart from you, I perish. There is no life outside of you. And so they begin and they choose to participate. Jesus issues and and extends an invitation to a feast on himself to partake of him. Later on, we were told in Acts that in him we live and move and have our being. That's in all ways and in all aspects of our life. And the question is, will we do that? Do we believe that? Will we enter into that kind of life with him? As we said here, many withdrew, and yet the 12, they, they stayed there. Peter saying, I can't leave you. I'd love to leave, but I can't because you have the truth. It's a declaration, as we would say, I would starve without you, Lord. How could we walk away from what we know to be true? Didn't you remember when Jesus washed your feet and Peter didn't want him to do it? Um, and Jesus says, you've got to let me do this or you have no part in me. The Lord, Jesus came and he gave his life for us, and, he, and he, he has broken the old covenant. He's fulfilled it, and he brings a new covenant, and the new covenant is full of life and healing and forgiveness. He takes the veil and he breaks it away. All the sin that I've ever done and will do ever has been carried and covered all together, and he comes along and he says, this, I'm giving you this, like I'm washing your feet. And he says, what's our response? Take it. The response is to take it. He said, I'll, I'll take that. Fill up my plate with everything you've got. I'll take it all. That's what he's calling them to. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ lives in me. Romans chapter 6 says that we have been raised with Christ. When we come to Christ by faith, the scriptures tell us that we were crucified with him. In other words, we were participants in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's a hard statement. We were participants with Jesus in his life, his death, and his resurrection. The fact that Christ lives today, we are participants in his life. We have talked about this before. We are transferred from the line of Adam, which is all about death and separation, and we are transferred to the line of Christ, which goes back forever with God and continues forever, and we are an entire new hereditary line of Christ. We are participants with him as believers. We don't just walk alongside. We don't just embrace a part of it. It's not like this little piece of my nine parts of my life, and Jesus gets one part. He says we are, as believers, we become fully immersed in what he did. So when Christ died, I died. My old life died. My old nature was crucified. And when something gets crucified, what happens to it? You don't get half crucified. It doesn't work that way. It's dead. When Jesus hung on the cross, it says that he died. And our old self was crucified with him. We were participants in that. 
It doesn't happen because I get things right and I kill off the old sin. The scriptures say you as a believer died with Christ. You're a participant in it. And you were buried and you were raised to walk what? It says raised to walk in newness of life. We don't buy that. We don't create that. We are participants in it because Christ lives that life and we are participants with him. When Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my body, it just means just receive what he says he did on our behalf. Both as an unbeliever to first time to receive it by faith, giving our lives to Christ, but as a believer not to walk in the old life where I'm going to try to work for everything, but to receive the goodness of the feast that God has placed upon us and given to us. Communion is not really his flesh and blood, um, but I do believe it's more than a symbol. When we pick it up, and we hold the bread in our hands in a few minutes. Um, and we share it together. Communion is not something that you do by yourself. It's something you do with the body of Christ. Because we're all participants together. And we share in it. And we hold it. And it smells good. And we eat it. It's very, very real. Christ desires to have that kind of reality into our life. He says he took the bread and the cup when he was the disciples in the upper room. And he said, take it and eat it. And he took the cup, he says, take it and drink it. Feel it in your mouth. Remember me. The truth is that every time we eat, whether we're sitting here this morning, whether we're out to lunch later on, we're sitting at Time Market later in the week, you're at Burger King, I don't care where you go. Every time we pick up a piece of food, we're supposed to remember that we are participants in the work and wonders of Christ. And we pick it up, we think, thank you, Lord. I would perish without you. That's what he's supposed to, we're supposed to say. I would perish without you. And yet we have him. We participate in his work, and he invites us regularly to be remember that we are participants in his redemption. And just like Passover, when we take communion together, we relive a story. And the story is of God's redemptive love to a world that he created this feast for, and the world... We chose to toss it out and make it something else. And he brings redemption. He brings redemption for our souls, but he desires to bring redemption to the very details of our life, to be redemptive in it. And the taking of communion, we participate again and, and remember that story. We're to realize and embrace and take in the truth of Christ's finished work in our full and absolute and complete and eternal participation in it. We never have to earn it at all. And just like the people on the mountain, when they got the feeding of the 5,000, they didn't have to pay for anything. It was just miraculously in their hands. And so it is for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, it says that we all partake of one bread. What is the one bread? It's Jesus, the bread of life. And we do it as one body. I think that there is something, when we do communion together, I think there is something beyond just the physical that happens, that we are united as one body because we are one in Christ as represented in his bread. Author Tim Chester says this, Communion reorients life by relocating us in the story told by the word who is Jesus. Instead of being defined by the stories of our culture or our week, we live as participants in God's story. When we take communion, we freshly come as a church together. We participate with each other. We're going to take some bread here that somebody in our church took the time to prepare with their hands. 
and as, as, a, as a meal together, we eat together because we're all participants in God's wonders that he worked on us and fully participating in it with each other. And we get to enjoy this grand meal. Yes, it cost Jesus his life, but as he gave that meal freely for us, he asked us to partake of it um, with gladness. Uh, those who are passing out the communion, if you would come forward and uh, begin passing out the bread. We're going to do it in a little different order this morning. We're just going to pass out the bread. If you know the Lord um, and have put your trust in him, just take off a piece and hang on to it. Just hang on to it for a little while till we pass the cup around. But uh, it's going to begin going around just a break off piece. I wish I had uh, this morning uh, one loaf for every single person, but I would have killed these guys. They've been baking for weeks. Um, because there's something about taking that little piece. I don't know about you, but I remember when I was a kid, I'd get that little piece. I was hungry, and it was just, I would just kill me to have that little thing in my hand. I would just die. In. And there's something about this. We take off a little piece. We make sure it all goes around. And um, there's something about that that just doesn't get to the heart of what it's about. As people sat and ate a meal together, and they broke off chunks of bread, and they dipped it together, and they're eating grapes and vegetables, and they, they're enjoying abundance. And the reminder is, is that there's abundance in Christ as we break that off. There's life in him, and he wants us to take a hold of it and uh, embrace it. So pass it around, take off a piece, and just hang on to it for a few moments as we uh, conclude our look in God's word here. It's a great passage in Deuteronomy chapter 14. And the people are told in Deuteronomy 14 to take um, a tenth of their produce, a tenth of their harvest, and they're to put it aside, as the Lord called them to, one-tenth of their harvest. So this would be like if, um, if you made $30,000 a year and you were going to take one-tenth of your produce, which is how much? $3,000, okay? $3,000. He says, take $3,000. Now, usually we think that you're going to take it and it goes to the temple or it goes to the priests. You guys can give it here. The priests, they're all priests now. And he gives it, and you do something with it. And what is he, in Deuteronomy 14, it says, great. He says, you take it, and God says, take that one-tenth, and I want you to buy whatever, and it's talking about food, whatever your heart desires. He doesn't say, get some cruddy vegetables or bread that had nothing good in it. I mean, he says, figure out what you enjoy the most, the food you would love to eat. If you could just pick your favorite meal, what would it be? Take one-tenth of your produce. So for those who make $30,000, $3,000, and you're going to take that, and guess what you're going to do with it? You are going to cook a meal for your family. Cook a meal for your family. So imagine your family, and you are going to spend $3,000 on one meal. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> $3,000. Those who are students, you got three of you, four of you in a room, $3,000, you guys only make $5,000 a year, okay? So $500 each, okay, whatever it is. And, but you would fill that room up. Whatever your heart desired, he said. And the verse goes on in chapter 14. He says that they take the food, then he says, in that feast. And he says, sit and eat in the presence of God and rejoice. So he tells them to do. What a great thing to be called to. To take it and just whatever your heart desires. And then you sit in the presence of God, he says. Like sitting at his feet, under his tree. um, And eat it. And rejoice. 
That is the calling that God places before us. That is the opportunity he opens up to us as believers in Christ. It is more than a remembrance. When we take communion in just a moment, I'm going to pass the cup around in just a few minutes. And we share it together. It's more than just thank you, Lord, which is important because some churches call it Eucharist. Eucharist means to give thanks. We ought to give thanks. What he's done for us is beyond words. But it's bigger than that as well. Did everybody get some bread this morning? You guys can begin passing the cup around in a moment, too. So once you guys have it. As the cup comes around, you can take your bread and you dip it. And remember, we do it together. Um, We do it in remembrance. And when you do it, think about it, even though it's a little bit, you sit in the presence of God with his wonders and you rejoice in what he's given. It's more than a remembrance and giving thanks. We rehearse in the taking of communion. The story of God, the story of his people, his presence, his redemption in history, his redemption in our day, his redemption in our coming week, his abundance of grace and his life. And we share together God's redemptive feast. Ryan, if I could have you bring the uh, worship team um, up as we continue to sing, partake of it. Remember, as the bread, as you dip it, it's... uh, picture of his life, his promises, his goodness, his provision. It's a picture of Jesus who said, I am the bread of life and take of me. And we embrace it. We are declaring to him, my heart's intent, Lord. I want to know what life looks like when it really understands that you are everything. I would perish without you. And in you alone, there is satisfaction. So this morning, receive his abundance, receive his people, one another, and embrace the work um, that he has done on our behalf. And let's let it be reflected in our voices as we sing and sit in his presence and rejoice. Lord, we thank you for the bread and the cup. Very small things, but daily reminders of the feast of abundance the blessings of goodness that we truly have been crucified with Christ and the old sin is gone and we have new life. And may you live it through us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do a new song. You guys probably aren't going to know the lyrics to this one. If you would, uh, don't try to sing on the first round. I'd like you to just contemplate on what what it is that we're saying and then join us on the second time and try to mean what you're singing Now I sing freedom for 
glorious you are, Christ our Savior. 